Hello and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions. Quite a different theme this week as we go all non-fiction. Now, I, I do love non-fiction books and publishing, although much of traditional non-fiction publishing has, sadly, been absolutely annihilated by the internet. For example, why would you lash out a small fortune to buy a set of encyclopedias when you've got Wikipedia for free? There's still lots of life to, left in non-fiction publishing, though certainly enough to create many new bestsellers, particularly in the area we're looking at today, spirituality, self-help, and memoirs. Spirituality, the feeling or belief that there is more to the human condition than mere sensory experiences. Who are we? What are we? What's our purpose? At their best, books in this genre provide insight, inspiration, encouragement, and a sense of direction in an area that's often rife with misunderstandings. Self-help. No one's an island. Everyone begins life helpless and dependent on others just to survive. But marvellous things that humans are, one of the most amazing things we can both learn and teach is how to aid ourselves. And self-help is all about that fascinating paradox that humans must both find our own ways in life, and yet we still need a helping hand from others who have trodden the path before us. I make no secret of my love for the self-help genre. It can be life-altering and sometimes life-saving. And memoirs. Arguably the oldest genre of tales ever told by humans 10,000 years ago as we sat under the starlit sky or perhaps sheltered in a cave, we had no big screen TVs. Entertainment then, as now, was all about story. Some of it invented, but some of it lived experience. And that's how the venerable memoir genre first came into being. Well, here to help me today are two guests of the very first Water, award-winning journalist and editor, author of The Art and Business of Writing, and co-author of the highly praised Mended Faith, Life of Abuse, Pain and Redemption. It's a very inspiring Chris Jones. And from the heart of Latopia, she's a writer, artist and voice artist, actually, for us here right on Pop-Ups. Welcome back to the fabulous Bev Dalton. Lots of great submissions today, so let's get cracking. And here's our very first submission. Let your privates breathe. That's the title. I bet you're going to remember that. Let your privates breathe. It's self-help slash memoir. It's from Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Hopefully you're with us now. And there's a QR code there, too, that will take you straight to Melissa's website. And while you're doing that, why don't I read you Melissa's blurb? Moving from one low-income apartment to another with her mother and her mother's boyfriend of the week, Let Your Privates Breathe is about Melissa's struggle to find freedom after being raised in an unpredictable home environment. She becomes sexually active at 12, drink, drinks beer at 14, and does crack at 18, trying to find love and stability in all the wrong places. Melissa has been sober for over 23 years now, well done, and shares her trials and struggles throughout recovery and active addiction. Let me tell you a little bit more about Melissa. I grew up in Kent, Washington, home of Macklemore and Sir Mix-a-Lot. 
I don't know what that is, but that's just demonstrating my ignorance. Uh, she tells stories about childhood adversity, growing up in a drug-addicted home, meeting her biological father at 15, after he got out of prison, and rolling joints with her mum's boyfriend during summer break. Melissa was court-ordered to AA. I didn't know courts could do that, actually. Uh, in 1998, after a DUI, and has remained sober for 23 years, which is worth celebrating. She sheds light on family dysfunction, what it takes to break free, and how to find healing when your emotions are misfiring from growing up in such a toxic, unnurturing home environment. Melissa is a 40-something orphan, having lost her parents and having no siblings. She spent many years faking it to make it and now has embraced her rough start at life. Wow, that's quite, quite a, a history there, Melissa. And we have quite a reading here for you from Emily. Let Your Privates Breathe by Melissa Read by Emily Prologue It was spring of 1994 in Kent, Washington. The other kids in our senior class were planning a trip to Mexico. My friend and I had a different plan, though. We thought we would go to Disneyland for spring break. We planned and paid for the trip ourselves, booking the Motel 6 in Anaheim. My friend was 18 years old and I was still 17. Before we left, we shopped for outfits at the Limited and Express and planned out each day. When we got to Anaheim and exited the airport shuttle, the driver said, Stay out of trouble, girls, and we just laughed. Our room had the typical two full beds on the right, a large brown television stand, and a small round wooden table near the window. If that room could talk, I'm sure it would have seen its share of events and we were about to make it blush. Right away, we met our neighbours, two men, in the room to the right, and they invited us to come over seconds after we put our bags in our room. One was tall and skinny with slicked back hair and the other was shorter and thick with curly dark hair. The curly-haired one pulled out a shoebox and told us he wanted to share. He opened the box and it was full of cocaine. He divided the white powder into lines and demonstrated how to snort it up with a rolled-up dollar bill. I took one line and then another. I was a natural. I had never felt so in control. I was confident and on top of the world. I walked into the hotel bar to buy some smokes from the vending machine. I was 17 and felt like I owned the place. We swam in the pool, laughed and drank like there were no problems in the world. The next day we were introduced to our upstairs hotel neighbours and they introduced me to meth for the first time. They called it crank. I liked it, but later in my addiction I would mix them 50-50 when I could afford it. The guys from the first night asked us to go to the beach with them. They had a sea foam, green old-fashioned car. I can still picture us on the side of the road after they ran out of gas. My friend and I took photos of each other on the freeway with our cigarettes while they walked to find gas. They came back and we finished the drive to Huntington Beach. Once we arrived at the beach, we split up and they said they would be right back. They walked to the right and we continued to walk forwards, towards the ocean. After a while we realised we couldn't find them anywhere. The car was still there, but they were not. Hours went by and it was starting to get dark. There were these two other guys in a red sports car and they'd been in the parking lot watching us for a while. We finally decided just to tell them our scenario, ask for a ride and hope they wouldn't kill us. We talked for a while. The driver, an Italian-looking handsome stallion and his friend, a Romanian guy named Raman, like Top Raman. Trust me, I will never get the image of that guy out of my mind. He had a shiny round face and long, frizzy, slightly wavy hair. I wasn't attracted to him, but it seemed when there are two guys and two girls, the divvying up happens and I was stuck with Top Raman. 
They drove us back to the motel and asked us to go out with them that night. We took some time to freshen up and they came back to get us after ten. They took us out to a bar and restaurant and ordered us drinks. We took photos of each other and walked along the beach where we all ended up skinny dipping in the ocean. When we all ended up back in our room, I realised this idea quickly wasn't the best thinking on our part. My friend and her guy were in the bed next to Raman and I. Okay, well, I definitely would read on, um, but let's see what the Junior Stream have got to say. Lots and lots of comments on the Junior Stream, as you would expect. Um, and initially, of course, the, the title, uh, a resting title, certainly. Eva says, and you can just hear her gasping, is privates what I think it means? Private parts? I think it is, Eva. And uh, James says, uh, that's what I'm thinking, Eva. Matt says, it's a brilliant title. Eva says, well, there's loads here to tell. Uh, RG Woods, it's solid blurb. Does the job confusing title, though? Uh, though, may become clear in the reading. Pamela Jo, certainly an inspiring le- length of sobriety. She's done something right and worth writing about. Barbara then says, I'm not interested yet. So a little, little breeze of reality coming through. Johnny says, I think a memoir needs to draw a reader in and a story recounting an, in- an uninteresting event doesn't really cut it. And James goes, interesting scene, but is it the right place to start? And then there's quite a lot of debate about that. Is that actually the right place to start? Uh, RG says, try starting the drugs. All that went before was dull. Pamela Joe, title may be more slanted to American readers. I like it. Blurb's good. Maybe needs to step back. Vicky, amazing contrast between innocence of Disneyland and what actually happened on the trip. And Stacey, so much story here to draw on the end, but... I feel like the story is holding back. It's incredibly distant. I feel nothing. She's not the only person to say that. Emily says, think this started in the wrong place. Of course, Emily was our narrator. Um, There was nothing to make me really care about the author. Writing's fine, says Johnny. It's all a bit we did this, then that, then whatever. And Mel says, I'm finding all the we rather distancing Matt. Compelling tile, but is it being rushed through? And Pamela Joe, good point, Vicky. Maybe that will be the clue where to start. And Vicky says, uh, a contrast between Innocence of Disneyland and what's actually happening there. I think we'll hear from Bev first. First reactions to that, please, Bev. Well, I liked the title and I liked the blurb. Um, But when we got into it, I was slightly confused about whether it was self-help or whether it was memoir. Yeah. Because if it was, it felt as if it was memoir, and I didn't understand why this was prologue rather than chapter one. Um, And if it was just pure memoir, then I sort of wanted to know why I would want to read this person's story rather than somebody else's, and I would like that up front and centre to, to lead me in and if it was self-help ditto I wanted to know what's in it for me in reading this book when you start just recounting this happened then this happened then this happened mm. because um, I want more I want more context I think the writing was very nice and I particularly liked that there were short paragraphs that had detail but not too much it wasn't she didn't tell yeah. us every element of the hotel room nicely or charged. anything like that yeah. it was it was nicely paced but i wanted a framework for it that 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 gave it um an accessible place for me yeah okay um so i totally agree with that actually it's nice easily writing style actually i'm glad you mentioned mm. that what do you think about the title 
Well, I like it because <laughs> I'm assuming it's <laughs> advice given to her at some point. By, well, it sounds like by it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you like it from a commercial, commercial point of view. I'm not at all sure. It really is distinctive. Absolutely does stick in your mind, but does it stick in your mind in a good way? It's a bit off-putting to, to some people, but would you buy a book oh, with I'm that sure title? It would, be. would you be seen reading a book I, with that I'd title? Pick it up. Would well, you be I seen reading on the tube? You would. You, you're no shame at all. That's our <laughs> yeah, Beth. That's one of the reasons we, we love you so much. Chris, can we get your opinion on the title, first of all? Um, I'm not sure about the title entirely. Um, I, well, I think the, the, one of the biggest sticking points for me with the title is there's no subtitle. I think nonfiction yeah. always demands a subtitle uh, just so that you, you know, because you'd have to have some sort of a draw in from a typical from a typical title because a fiction book you can have you can say anything you want call the title anything you want and mm. people will read it just because but with a non-fiction book you're going to need some sort of a subtitle to be a draw and this is what the book lacks is a good subtitle yeah. uh, because when I look at let your because when, when I look at let your privates breathe and then she talks a lot about drug use I'm not seeing the promiscuity part because that's what I'm thinking that Let Your Privacy Breathe is about, more promiscuity. Like, you know, she's either been sexually assaulted or abused, but she talks a lot about drugs and alcohol. So I'm not seeing the connection there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know about the title, to be honest. I mean, like, it's the sort of thing that could be uh, kind of a bit vogue. And once it becomes vogue, it doesn't have that effect anymore because everyone wants to read it. But, and, and it's sort of growth curve. Would, would I actually want to be seen reading a book like that? I don't know if I would, to be honest, but maybe I'm not in the, in the demographic. So just generally, I mean, did you, did you like her writing style? Did you, did you feel it flowed? I liked her writing style. I felt like she had a lot, of, a lot of flow. The writing style was very good. It's very breezy, very easy to read. Um, I felt like her blurb, uh, her. I felt like her bio should have been her blurb. I got more out of yes. the bio than I did from the blurb. Yes, yes, like the, exactly. The bio, I, felt, I, felt like, I felt like the bio was the bio of a real human being. The blurb was very wooden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so I, would, I, would, I would exchange some of those details. And I think, she, you know, she, uh, she, does, she does a good job with tying all that stuff together in there. Hmm. So one of the questions that's been uh, thrown around in the genius room is basically kind of what's in it for me? What's in it for the average reader? I mean, this is all about, you know, Melissa's story and Melissa's struggle and her success, which is which is terrific and mm -hmm. you know, absolutely bang on all behind you on this, Melissa. But we've got to look at the cold, hard um, commercial because, I mean, publishing is a business, at least it tries to be. Um, do, you, do you think this is this is commercially viable? She's got. I, get, I think she needs to, like Bev said, get out of the memoir side because it feels like memoir when you start to read it. So um, if, she, if she's going to do a prologue, if she's going to do so, some sort of introduction, start with the trauma. I need to know what hurts you right off the bat. Move back yeah. and then dive into chapter one, two, three about how you overcame those hurts. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the story isn't. It's not a bad story, but start with the trauma because I'm I'm waiting for that because a nonfiction reader, I look for that first. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree. That's very good advice, man. Straight from the horse's mouth here. So we got a vote from you. That's nice. Thank you very much. You like you like the writing craft there, actually, don't you, Chris? That's good. And yeah, let's thought, have a look. Well. Go ahead. No, I thought the, I thought the, I thought the writing carries you through pretty well. Yeah. Um, we got a good vote there from from Bev. Uh, she's wild about the title. And it's a really good vote from me, actually. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Uh, you got a 66 all round there, actually. Melissa, let's just see what the genius room was saying. Um, Stacey says, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, I think that if this is, is a memoir, it needs to feel more like a story. I think that's right. Um, that's pretty much what Chris is saying, actually. Start with the trauma. Um, more showing right now. It's a lot of telling. And Johnny says, if you read a 
really good marmar that needs to be baked in celebrity or else something to hold it together and uh, johnny has a cause or a backdrop of some sort yeah I, I don't feel at the moment this is self-help at all it could be a riveting read as a memoir it could be but i don't know so you got a six to six there uh, melissa hopefully you're happy with that and let's see what's next Um, before we actually do look at submission number two, let me just tell you actually in the colony, um, if you go on the homepage there, you'll see we're doing a special offer uh, for six month fixed time upgrades. I don't recur. It means you can give them as presents actually to anyone. You can, and that one of the neat things is if you do give a free upgrade to somebody else, you can do it anonymously. And that will actually drive them completely mad, trying to guess who, who gave the upgrade. So that's that's something you can do, but only for the next few hours, because that offer is actually closing at midnight tonight. So I thought you'd like to know about that. Um, this is submission number two. Mm, no. This is submission number two. Thank you, Bev. What would I do without Bev, eh? It's called Phoenix Better. Launch. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm getting marked by Bev. From Ashes <laughs> to Self-Love spiritual slash self-help it's from susan susan dies so there's a qr code there that will take you i can tell you with great authority to susandyer.com which is uh, susan's website and this is susan's blurb i was born clairvoyant and raised by baffled catholic republicans Per life and a sci-fi screensaver i doubted my sanity and hated myself by kindergarten. From mistaking Archangel Michael for the devil to a fundamentalist horse wrangler taking me hostage, that's quite something, isn't it? I'm still grappling with that mentally. Uh, my story overwhelmed me until merging with God in a near death experience in 2017. Phoenix Launch is a practicum for embodying self love, interlaced with mystical anecdotes. Think a wrinkle in time meets super soul sunday i am thinking that I am. and i'm also going to tell you about uh, susan while i'm holding that thought uh, susan is a champion of women's spirituality she was born clairvoyant and merged with unnameable god that's in uh, quotes in a 2017 near-death experience I've, I've come across a lot of people who've had near-death experiences very interesting subject which clarified her journey she graduated from Hamilton College with a BA in Creative Writing and Cultural Anthropology. She's published in Folio Literary Journal, Dance Magazine, Burning Word Literary Journal, Quill Keepers Press Anthology. It goes on and on. Wingless Dreamer, 19th Quarterly, all in capitals, and forthcoming in Evening Street Review. Down in the Dirt and 221NYC. Find her at website. Just giving you susandye.com and on social media. And, um, wow. That's all I can say. Wow. And hopefully this reading will wire you too. From Johnny. Phoenix Launch. From Ashes to Self-Love. Written by Susan Dyer. Read by John. Introduction. Desperately Seeking Susan. I was born a clairvoyant and raised by baffled Catholic Republicans. Per life in a sci-fi screensaver. I doubted my sanity and hated myself by kindergarten. I camouflaged myself in response, knowing globe-eyed beings watched me sleep. From mistaking Archangel Michael for Satan to a Christian fundamentalist horse wrangler taking me hostage, my story overwhelmed me. Fear frayed me to the bone. 
By age 40, it showed. I drank too much, ate too little, and knowingly married in the name of disdain. Our divorce cut the parachute of my declining health. As a single mother, I couldn't face life alone. My mind failed and my body followed as chronic Lyme disease raged from remission. For months, my friends had warned me I was dying, but that night they were right and wouldn't leave my side. We overlapped on the couch. They smoothed my hair. We watched Castaway on mute. I was pained and partially paralysed. My walker was my chariot. Breathing was a chore. I mostly whispered. Bags of IV antibiotics drained from my fanny pack through the port in my arm like a dairy cow with disposable udders. I elbow dragged from couch to kitchen to make the PB and J's on the floor and line them along the wall, leaving them out for my kids like they were animals. The night of August 11th, 2017, I climbed the stairs on all fours. My last ascent. The kids were with their dad and I could responsibly die. But my spiritual team pitched in an alternative. Leave your body tonight and find help. The idea pierced my resignation. I had astral travelled all my life, though never on command. As I gripped the step stool by my bed, I heard the line, Lie along the edge and let your astral body fall off the ledge. Just before sleep's tipping point, I did. I travelled like a blade after leaving my body, arriving at a place like wet velvet, no sound or light, the womb of all creation. Fearing the dark, I thought, God, please take me somewhere safe and good, and instantly merged with the unnameable. I steeped in his blazing golden rays and felt what he is made of, the freedom of unconditional love. I pinned God as a vague but caring force, but I was wrong. I was wholly loved, and I could have been a murderer. God received me in light and love because what comes out is what's inside. We spoke about speaking. I understood there is no death, just morphing energy. No fear, rules or gatekeepers. No good or evil. All rituals are acceptable. I understood my jangly life was divinely inspired because of the juggernauts and not in spite of them. But my greatest realisation? God and I are one, just like you. No asterisks. I awoke like a lightning strike and swung out of bed. My floral cane stood ready, but I patted it and haven't used it since. Standing up, I faced a curled photo taped to the wall. She remembered who she was and the game changed. I folded my heels and howled. I had betrayed myself at every turn until I went home again and remembered. Thank you very much, Johnny. Great reading. So let's see what the genii is saying there and then we'll see what Chris thinks. Um, no, I don't like the blurb repeated in the first chapter, says Stacey. I don't understand the surface screen, so I don't understand that either, actually. Our divorce, says Stacey. I missed that she was married. Um, yeah, and Eva echoes the, the comment about the opening power being a copy of the blurb. Uh, Johnny Honorator says, this was, it was easy to, easy to read. It flowed well, though somewhat mystical. Oh, yeah, I thought you had a very mystical voice on that, actually, Johnny. James, Johnny's reading is apropos. I thought it was, too. Uh, Lex, much, much of this is fascinating, says Lex, but this is jumping around like chapter notes, not a narrated story. Um, and James kind of agrees with that. He says, it needs to be more linear. It is a bit summary, isn't it? Actually, we're getting all tele 
phonographed. Pamela Joe, distinctive voice, but too much too soon. Again, memoirs need storytelling skills, not just lyrical writing. And Martin says, hello, Martin. Um, the sentence where she's about to die would be a good starting point. Yes, it would, I agree. Vicky, I'd like to know more of what's happening for, as, a, as a child, clairvoyant. Yeah, there's so much material there. Um, so heavy off the top, hard to imagine where it can go, says Mel. And Matt says, Lex, you nailed it. Uh, we're not seeing a narrative arc as much as bullet points. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'll let you read the rest of that because there's lots of good stuff going on there. Um, the general feeling, uh, Chris, is that it's it's all a bit condensed and sort of, you know, information you need to know before we get on with the story. Do you agree with that? I do. Um, again... It's. I feel like you know to use a journalism term, the, the lead got buried in there. Like I yes. would have started with the part because I feel like um, she tells me about the spiritual team and the, the spiritual team they're like watching her die. So I'm thinking mm. she's about to die right then, and then the spiritual team seems to disappear, and then she's talking about making food for the kids and putting mm. it on the floor, and then the kids then and then I find out the kids aren't there either. So I'm, then she's crawling up the stairs. Like I, I can't like. There's nothing for me to really grab a hold to and find any cohesiveness in this. So for me, if I were her. I would start with crawling up the stairs. Like to me, the, you know, I was the whole crawling up the stairs. Like you know, the whole like feeling like I'm in pain, like I'm about to die. Like that's where I would begin. Yeah. And then, yeah. That, that would that would leave me curious. Why is she crawling up the stairs? What's wrong with her? You know. I don't know. I can't answer that. Yes. Only, it's, yes. it's not. It's not. It's not linear at all. It's a. Uh, no. it, it needs. Some, it, de it definitely needs some help. It needs some mm. help. It, yeah. Like like I said last time, you gotta you gotta start from that that point of trauma. Start from the point that just hits. Start from the point of trauma. That's actually a great quote. Start from the point of trauma. Copyright. All rights reserved. Chris Jones, 2022. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bev, your thoughts. Did this one have self-help as well? It, yeah, it's, got, it's one of those slash, slash titles. It's a slasher title. Mm. It's spiritual slash self-help. Like our previous one had a slash there too. It's kind of not quite sure which genre it's sitting in. Yeah, because it to me it was reading like a potted memoir. Um, and I wasn't sure why we were getting all the good stuff, like, straight away. Yeah. Why the first lines were repeating what was the blurb. Um, it felt confused to me. And yeah. though there were, some, there were some very nice lines, fear frayed me to the bone, I liked. And mm -hmm. I travelled like a blade. I mean, so there's some, some writing skills there that I liked. But it's like a a field of wild ponies at the moment jumping around everywhere and it needs corralling into a shape and deciding because i mean when we heard that that life story i was born clairvoyant and this happened and that happened and somebody took me a horse wrangler took me hostage we're all like yeah tell me i want to sit next to that person at dinner and i want you to tell me the stories well it's the horse but, wrangler that's got my attention there i mean what you know is yeah. that relevant and why do why is it a horse wrangler i mean it, were you mistaken for a horse or something really i mean i'd like to i'd like to, to know relevant. these things yeah <laughs> and and so there's all this sort of little little hooks um, and I want a structure that allows me to go through a memoir that's got all that in it. And just, yeah. it could could be a really, really roller coaster enjoyable read. Yeah. But trying to put it as self-help, I'm not sure if that works because I'm not sure what's in it for me out of that anyway. 
Let's let's um, bring I'm, Chris on on this because I think that's very interesting. Yeah. We are we are we have sort of delineated two interesting categories here. One is you know obvious self help stuff that you read because it's relevant to you and it's going to show your path through the darkness. But then there's the other aspect of just a memoir, which hopefully is just a good read. I mean sometimes yeah. I mean a few years ago there was this emergent new genre called misery memoirs and people read those because they were just so awful. Actually, <laughs> at least you know things may be bad for for you and me, but they're not as bad as that person who wrote that book so how do what tell us about the difference between those those two things chris and which way you tend to push people if they ask your advice yeah she i mean she can totally roll this into that very genre because what she can do is from chapter to chapter she can give us phenomenal story and then tell us her overcomers like the overcomers arc every single story because that's, well, that's what i did with mended faith we told her story talked about the trauma and then we talked about how she overcame the trauma and then how you can overcome various traumas that are very similar so yeah. you can she can roll it that way, and I think yeah. it works very well that way because then it keeps the story as well as how do I move on? Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's definitely the way to do it. Let's have a look at the genius. Right, I, I, I would I would like to know if the, I'd like to I'd like to know if the screensaver is any bit significant because she mentions that a couple of times and I don't. That's, know funny, that's funny, actually. What did you do, Bev? Sorry, I dropped a glass. <laughs> okay, okay. Next time you do that, you're going to get going to get my ding as well um let's Oof, see what I the your ding, please. Yeah. <laughs> um pamela joe says how do you write self-help or a memoir without selling self-indulgent that's a chris a, a question to, to chris chris how, how do you do what? how do you write um how do you write the self-help or a memoir without sounding self-indulgent why i think this genre is the hardest to write but it seems it should be easy yeah, again, I think you need to tie you need to tie your story to the natural human experience with other people because your story, our stories are also interconnected. So you tell your story, and then once you tell your story, you bridge it with what other people may be going through. Hmm. So if we're going to talk about you know if you, if you talk about your own personal sexual trauma, then you can talk then you can kind of bridge that with data and information about the, the sexual trauma of other people and the things yeah. that they go through, and then yeah. close. Then you, then you kind of roll it all together at the end. Yes, you make it sound so mm -hmm. easy. <laughs> Um, all right, let's look at the numbers on that. Then I, I want to come back to Chris and just talk about one or two interesting things. You've got 54 so far, uh, Susan. That can that can change. It can go down as well as up, but it can it can change as more and more of the genie make their mind up and vote. I just want to ask you, Chris, about something that you said just then um, about sort of seeking help. Um, because you actually said that about that manuscript that maybe she needs a little, little bit of assistance to um, to sort of unpack it really. Um, so there's a bewildering range of help on offer now to aspiring authors, from editorial services to goodness knows what. Um, what's the best advice you can give to the aspiring writer who thinks themselves, "Do I need an editor? Should I should I talk to somebody about this?" Give, give us some good basic advice that is, is your trademark. Yeah, I think it's always best to always get external advice. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we think we know our story the best. And of course, we do know our story the best, but do we know how to tell our story the best? And so I think mm. what an editor can do, particularly a developmental editor, can help you to sit down and unpack your story. They can help you to make it linear or figure out if it can be or nonlinear, depending on the style of the story and what you're trying to write. Mm. And um, from there... You can kind of you, you can come up with a chapter by chapter plan of how the story is supposed to flow, what the reader is supposed to get out of it, and how you want to guide the reader along the journey. 
because a lot of times we always, you know, of course, we always think linear. Okay, I did A, B, C, D, and it doesn't always have to be that way. Mm. Particularly with nonfiction, nonfiction, great, great nonfiction should be able to be read. Uh, I can read chapter one, chapter seven, chapter two, chapter ten, and it all just works no matter what, yeah. no matter how I read it. That's, yeah. that, that's really good nonfiction self-help. Yeah. So the feeling so I have. With, again, sorry, go on. Hmm. No, so I think with a book like hers, is she can make it, she can write it in such a way where, you know, it, it, whatever trauma she's dealt with, whatever issue she's dealt with, if I open chapters, I, I, can, I, can only, I can read the chapters that resonate with me and I don't need the entire book. Yes, yes. If that's, I don't want the entire book. That's gold dust, actually, because the feeling I have with so many submissions in this area is that they, you know, they've got interesting enough stories. But they're kind of writing for themselves, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I actually going to get out of this? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, is it is it what is it just enjoying somebody else's misery or something? There's got to be something more, you know, more direct than just recounting your story. And I, I suspect that a lot of writers who who start out in this area are actually just writing for themselves, really, and they forget the fact that there is a reader out there who's actually got to be at least as much a part of the action as as they are. Yeah, and I always recommend that an author develop an avatar before you write. You know, what does your ideal reader look like? What do they do? Where do they live? What are their habits? Like, really, like, frame out someone that feels so real to you that you can, you know, bounce your ideas off of that imaginary person. That's and brilliant. See, does, does, are, is what I'm writing, does it fit the character that I've made that should be reading this book? Does it fit the profile? Yeah. And then stick to that profile. Don't deviate. Yeah. It's great advice. Let's just look at your website here. You've got a couple of very interesting books there. The Art and Business of Writing, that's yours. Also, Mended Faith, you mentioned that earlier. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so Mended Faith, um, a lady contracted me to, to ghostwrite with her. She wanted to write her story down. She wasn't a native English speaker, though she spoke very well in good English. But um, she wanted to tell her entire story of being abused and how all the abuse that she lived throughout her life really led her to a relationship with God like she don't know she's like you know if she didn't get abused and deal with all those things she may not be the person mm. she is today and so it's a book about accepting the fact that bad things happen and not always for a for a bad reason but bad things can happen to lead you to a good thing and so what we did when we wrote together was we we audio recorded everything so that we could actually oh. get the nuances of her voice in the book so it sounds like her that's yeah. such a good idea such a good idea yeah um that's that's brilliant all right well, thank you very much chris i mean each time you come on you just sort of like i you, i can't stop the uh the amazing nuggets of advice from coming not that i'd want to actually um that's brilliant let's look at submission number three which comes from lee three from lee lee hurl it's non-fiction it's not a slash this time but it is a comma it's non-fiction memoir okay and it's called Carbon Under Pressure by Meg Hart. Okay, so I had to uh, um, think quite carefully about that because we have had um, a, a, a heat attack uh, this week in the UK, meaning my brain function has definitely diminished. So, uh, Carbon Under Pressure by Meg Hart, written by Lee Hurl. All right, so get that into your head and I'll read the blurb. Rose thought she had it all, then discovered her husband's hidden life. Battling through heartbreak and betrayal, nothing could prepare her for what came next. In this raw and confronting story, she reveals the painful emotions of a mother watching helplessly as her daughter battles a tormenting secret. It pushes her to the edge, but just as the nightmare promises to end, the family is haunted by a more ominous threat. Will the pressure destroy her, 
Or can she find strength to save the ones she loves? Let me tell you about Lee. Lee Hearn is a fiercely determined and energetic woman who is a successful business owner, author, TEDx speaker, wife, mother, and the founder of Meg Hart. Okay, let's see. Pseudonym. Uh, Lee created the pseudonym Meg Hart. It's kind of branding, isn't it, really? To give a voice to those who've been silenced and to shed a light on important societal issues impacting our world. Okay, I think I understand that. Um, and what I certainly will understand gloriously is this reading from Mel. Carbon Under Pressure by Meg Hart, written by Lee, read by Mel. Chapter 1. Waking Up. The gentle breath on my face and soft, muffled whispers were surely a dream. But I sensed a presence beside my bed, and as I stirred, the whispers took form. They were words I will never forget. Mom, I'm so sorry. I can't do this anymore. Please forgive me. All parents know the sudden wakefulness that strikes when one of their children is suffering. From the moment we hear their first newborn cry, we are attuned to their needs. And even at 16, Sophie's words shook me from my sleep. What's the matter? I asked as the faint shape of my daughter came into focus. It's okay, Mom. Go back to sleep. I sensed a heavy sadness in her voice and realized my face was wet from her tears. As she backed away, my eyes adjusted to the hazy light cast by a waning moon, and I noticed there was a large, dark patch on the front of her white pajama shirt. A disturbing unease swept over me. Something was terribly wrong. Then, like a phantom receding into the night, she turned and walked out the door. I crept quickly out of bed, careful not to wake Stuart, and followed her to the lounge room. That's where I found her, slumped on the couch. The dark patch on her shirt was blood. Shock struck me like a hammer blow to the chest. I rushed to her side and lifted her shirt. Raw, deep slashes marbled her abdomen and the tops of her legs. She tried weakly to push me away. Then I noticed the blood smeared on her hands and arms and across the couch where she lay. What happened? What have you done? I cried. My voice fired questions before my eyes could comprehend what I was seeing. I can't do this anymore, she responded groggily. Have you taken something? I looked up at her face, my eyes probing for some clue, some answer to make sense of the scene before me. There was no response. Sophie, tell me, what have you done? Her eyes were closed and her skin was pale, her body now completely limp. Frantic, I ran to the kitchen for the first aid kit, the instinctive response of a mother confronted with her child's injuries. There on the bench was an empty packet of sleeping pills. Oh no, she's trying to kill herself. I ran back to the lounge room and collapsed at Sophie's side, trying once more to stir her. How many pills have you taken? My quivering hands tried to find some sign of life, but she still didn't move. Then I screamed. Before that fateful night, I thought my life was complete. I'd left an unhappy marriage and been rewarded with new love. I'd shrugged off the judgment and disapproval of my family to forge life on my own terms. I'd changed jobs and moved cities. I thought I'd learned a lot about myself. I thought I'd been brave. I thought the worst was behind me, but nothing could prepare me for what was to come. Stuart! Stuart! I cried out for my husband. Wake up! Help! She's tried to overdose. 
I continued shaking Sophie, willing her to respond. Come on, baby, wake up. Come on. Stuart stumbled into the room and was quickly at my side. What's going on? My words tumbled over each other. She's taken sleeping pills. I don't know how many. She won't wake up. I backed away as Stuart checked over Sophie's limp body. Standing at the end of the couch with my hands clenched tightly at my face, I rocked back and forth, quietly repeating the words, Come on, baby. Fear immobilized me. I was petrified, powerless, watching the scene as if from another dimension. Call an ambulance, Rose. Stuart's urgent voice shook me from my stupor and back into action. I ran in frenzied circles, brushing up hard against a wall and sweeping aside items on the table in a desperate search for my phone. The whole house felt unfamiliar. I couldn't think. I was focused solely on hunting for the phone, a lifeline to save my daughter. Thank you very much, Mel. Great reading there. Um, yeah, so let's check out with our genii and uh, take it from the top. Pamela Jo says, nice carbon under pressure. How Superman makes diamonds. Of course it is, yeah. RG says, good title. Awful blurb that needs work. Um, and Pamela, yeah, it certainly promises a story. The fact is it's based on truth and makes it more poignant. Content of the blurb is intriguing, says Matt. But use Hella's advice. Uh, I assume that's Catch-22, Hella. Death to modifiers. I know what you mean. Blurb has strong fiction-like narrative, says Martin. He does, and that's kind of bugging me a bit. We might discuss that in a moment with uh, both of our panellists. Uh, Eva says, pity the blurb asks so obvious a question at the end that may have an unhappy response. Title makes you read it twice, says James. Stacey, uh, again, she's a bit lost on the blurb. I think some of the confusion comes from Meg, Meg Hart, Hurl, and Rose. What? Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um... Eve, uh, intriguing opening. Stacey, I beg you to fix the formatting. You might think it's a small point, actually, Lee, but it's not. It's very weird formatting there. And we don't do anything about it. If, you know, we, ju we just show what comes in. Um, and it's, it is odd. I actually examined it. And it's got carriage return at the end of each line. So something rather horrible has happened to that <laughs> somewhere in transit. Hannah says, don't generalise mothers. There's no such thing as all mothers do or all mothers sense. Um, I'm gripped by the beginning, says Pamela Joe. This has started more authorial voice, thinks Johnny. And uh, nice pacing, says Matt. Good tension. Pros are tad clunky. And then Ronnie says the bit where she rushes to the daughter and realises what's happening is strong. But Hannah says, ah, there's lack of visceral emotion. I think that she wants to convey. Stacey likes the dialogue. Feels realistic to Stacey, but make sure to separate the paragraphs between speakers. Eva uh, says, good writing, no waffle. Awful has happened to them, says Barbara. Really awful. And I agree, actually, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's simple, but I, I find it quite quite strong. It's not the most the original thing in the world, but it's it definitely hooked me. Where do we... Let's ask our, our panellists. Maybe you'd like to go first, Bev. Um, what were your first reactions to that? Um, I wasn't taken with the title because I was very confused by the two names. Mm. Um, and, then when, and then the blurb read to me like a fiction blurb not yeah. um not a memoir blurb it was like if if your story is unique and you want people to read it tell them what it is don't don't keep that a secret in the blurb because why then do i need to read it yeah. uh so so the hints mm. at something and overcome it's like that's a that's a fiction romance possibly drama i don't know but it's it's not yelling memoir to me 
It's a bit less than Chris, get... Chris in on that point because I think that yeah. it's, it's. I'm yeah. still trying to work that out in my head actually because we have we have got mm. these these three characters basically we've got Rose, and then we've got uh, mm. Lee who is uh, the real person, then we've got the sort of the pseudonymous character by Meg Hart, and that's I don't know is that a good idea? Yeah, I, I thought it was a little wishy washy in parts. Um, again, you know I think she needs to she needs to hit us right off the bat. Like, um, she, cause she, she, she eases into the story too, too calmly. Like, to me, I think she, the, a good rewrite would be, you know, Sophie's words took me from my sleep. Uh, you know, yeah. mom, I can't take it anymore. And then go right to the blood. Show me the blood right away. Yeah. Like, you know, tell me it's a wet spot. Cause I'm thinking, did she spill water? Like, what is that? So let's get, let's get right to it. There you go, Lee. You got a rewrite from uh, from a real pro there. I mean, we will be charging a lot of money for that, of course. Um, yeah, uh, right. Up. But what what about this whole this whole thing of uh, three characters? We've got a protagonist, Rose. We've got uh, the the real author. We've got a pretend author, Meg. I've known this to happen before. I was thinking about this. I've known this to happen. I'm thinking about Celestine Prophecy, which was a huge hit many years ago, and that clearly was mostly fictional. Um, and, but it's still, you know, I guess it was kind of non-fiction and definitely self-help and an enormous bestseller, I think for several years, actually, on the New York Times. So it's not exactly unheard of, but, I mean, it, it sort of cuts to the heart of veracity, doesn't it, if you've got a sort of pretend protagonist? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I, can't, I agree. I think it's, it needs to be just mother, mother, daughter, and then Stuart is an indirect character who just speaks as the external conscious of the mom who can't, you know, function at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, let's see what the genii are, are saying. Um, stylistically, says Johnny, the opening does read like a fictional incident, although it was real. I would like to see the style of chapter two. Sense of urgency is as as uh, RG Wersey is a, is a great um, uh, champion of uh, of yours actually. RG says sense of urgency is excellent. I agree. I, I, I did feel that too. I thought, oh my mm -hmm. god, what's going to happen? Uh, just needs the mm -hmm. to make it fly better. Um, yeah. And Archie says showers the blood. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes, yes, you did. Yeah. Um, I think it's simple. It's strong. I don't think I voted yet. Let me just do that now. I think she, she needs a she needs a subtitle for sure, though. None of these uh, submissions have subtitles. Yeah. Actually, and I was such... very confused and, by and, and, the Meg Hart thing. Yeah. Because the then is, the, thing, the story people... opened with Rose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the story opens with Rose, and it's like, so who is Meg and what's she there for? I mean, if it's to protect the innocent, you've gone with a pseudonym anyway, then why did you need another one in the book? I, hmm. I just found that very confusing. I'm really puzzled by it. Yeah. Sorry, With a non-fiction blurb, um, I think what, you, what, what tends to get forgotten is you can give spoilers in a non-fiction blurb. It is A-OK -okay yes. to tell us what happens. Like it's, yes. not, it's not like fiction where you don't want to reveal the story, but yes. nonfiction you could tell me exactly what what, your, what did your husband do, what happened yeah. to your daughter? Because I want to get gripped from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It needs yeah. to resonate with me before I even pick the book up. Yeah, yeah. And here we've got: Will the pressure destroy her, or can she find strength to save the one she loves? Um, which is, frankly, I wouldn't end a fiction blurb with that, to be honest. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, well made. Thank you very much for that, Chris. Let's look at the numbers now. A solid sixty, Lee. And, you know, what I would like to, you to have told us is why you've got this sort of three-part structure going on there. What the significance of Meg Hart is and why Meg Hart is not, in fact, our protagonist there. It just, I don't know, it seems, as far as I'm concerned, it seems to really detract from the, the, the power of this. But simple writing, simple tale, strongly told, 
Not bad. Um, before we look at submission number four, I just want to ask Bev something very straightforward and simple. You're an artist in residence at the moment, aren't you? I am, yes. Tell us about that. I wanted a challenge, and so I asked my friends to set me challenges. And um, to be fair, a lot of them gave me pastimes, but one lady who runs a, a studio and gallery space in Bath said, apply for an art residency because and she sent me the details it's eight weeks in bath with a, a one week solo show at the end of august in bath and it's literally right behind the roman bars in full oh, wow. view of the cathedral yeah. so the walk it's you know it's a great place to come so you're gonna get uh, all the tourists aren't you coming through so just what, what oh, is I an artist so. what is an artist in residence are you actually there making art in as, as tourists come through and sort of you know yes. paint sticky uh, point uh, sticky fingers at you and say what's that what's that strange woman doing well, to be fair, we've got. I'm in the basement at the moment. We do have open studios happening in uh, uh, next week, um, but people have been wandering downstairs right. because there's always a, a show in the main gallery. So people just wander downstairs. So I just go, "Hello, do, do you want nice. to know what this is about? Have a look. Tell me what you think." I've had. Wow. I had my um, and the work I'm doing is about hidden pain. So it's. Mm. It's about bereavement and loss mm. and depression and disability and how you have to not put a brave face on but make the best life you can out of that. So I want the work to be uplifting and hopeful but still retain that sharp edge that yeah. is underneath. Yeah. Um, so I'm, there's a clue. I'm I know there's a clue things. there. You said sharp edge. Yeah. There's, I'm making things out of razor blades and pins mm. and knives and and stuff and and painting them and arranging them in beautiful patterns and i had a woman come down look around the studio and she was so moved because she'd just recently suffered an appalling loss and and even just being in my little crappy studio <laughs> um she was crying yeah. her eyes out and she was yelling and she was saying oh, things wow. she couldn't say to her family because yes. they wouldn't understand but being there surrounded by all these red and blue plastic knives, yes. she was allowing her to give voice to the pain yeah. that she felt and the yeah. anger at the inappropriate comments that she'd got. Yes. So on that day, I felt I was doing something useful. Wow. Isn't that brilliant? I love that. And it's so appropriate for the theme of the show as well, actually. Fantastic, Bev. That's really, really strong, really moving. Good for you. How do we find you in, in Bath? It's the 44 AD gallery, and it's literally right behind the Roman baths on the right. corner of Abbey Street. And, okay. um, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I will be advertising my show, which is the 22nd to the 28th of August. Soon. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's, that's brilliant. Really, really good. Thank you, Bill. Um, now, you know what I haven't done, actually? very very remiss because this is actually the last show of the uh, the month which which is a big show actually so and i haven't done what i certainly ought to have done which is to show you the monthly leaderboard who's in the lead right now who's going to win for the month of course the monthly winner is gets um sent off as a uh, expedited submission to head of zeus so 
Let's see who's winning at the moment. Mr. Sexy and it's it's a pretty clear lead actually. Gates to Nowhere by Simon, Restoration by Tim, Ravenous Shadow by yes, it's Lex himself. 64 points, The Light by Sebastian, 64, The Society of Temple Returned by Richard and Susanna Osinga. I, I love that title, actually. really remember that very strongly. But The Gates to Nowhere, do you remember that? It's, uh, it's about a lone mortician in Corona, New Mexico, hosting a funeral of intergalactic proportions. So there we are. That's the score you got to beat. And we have two more submissions to go. Let's see if either one of them does it. Submission number four today is... Has got another killer title. I love this title, actually. Putting on Positive Pants. What's wrong with that? Putting on Positive Pants. A guide to leaving the past behind you. Memoir. Straightforward memoir. No slashes, no commas. Straightforward memoir by Jude. I'm a 37-year-old divorced single mother, is Jude's blurb. How does that sound? It sounds pretty great to me. People like me are in a much maligned societal group and it needs to stop now. Through my real life experience, I want to show people that life after divorce, with or without kids, is a true gift. This is key given the divorce boom because of the COVID pandemic. I didn't know there was one, but I can I kind of figures, yeah. Now more so than ever people need to know that staying in a failing relationship is not the answer and to have the courage to find better and i've got a very long very very long bio here for you actually let's start and see how we do all right jude um I began writing about parenting for a multi-award-winning blog um, when my now five-year-old son was less than a year old. That's four years, isn't it? I then launched my own website, Gluing Cheese. Yeah, that's great. That's the website that's uh, that's linked there. I think it's one of the coolest titles I've come across for a website. Gluing Cheese. Gluing Cheese. Isn't that great? Um, January 29 gets thousands of views each month. I was a finalist in the 2019 Brilliance in Blogging Awards. And the site has led to some incredible opportunities for me to share my story with a wider audience. I've featured in double-page spreads in magazines. This is important stuff, actually, if you're sending a cover letter under your submission. This is good, including Closer and Bella. I've also been interviewed by the BBC and Five News, featured in publications including the Daily Mail, Stylist, Metro. This is all great stuff. It shows you can generate publicity for you and your book. Uh, various parenting magazines. I was also a guest speaker at a London event particularly aimed at single parents to champion their status. This is where my professional life comes in handy, too. This is a great cover letter i love it i'm a former journalist and a pr professional so i am media trained this is a music to publishers ears uh, writing has been the constant thread through my career ever since i decided that was the role for me when i was just a teenager i'm a firm believer in the power of words and that is of course why i'm uh, contacting you today i think there's so much that can be said and done to make life easier for people like me Actually, not just easier, but for life and whatever twists and turns it takes to be viewed and experienced as the gift, which it truly is. Thank you. That's uh, that's a great cover letter, actually, Jude. And this reading from Jeff is also going to be equally great. Putting on Positive Pants, a guide to leaving the past behind you by Jade, read by Jeff. Prologue. I still don't really know how I got here. I know physically how it all happened, but mentally how this all came to be remains a bit of a mystery. 
I do know that it's been a journey of self-discovery, life lessons of falling down and getting back up again, both literally and metaphorically. That's all before finally reaching a place of acceptance, comfort, familiarity and a pride in all that is around me right now. I'm sitting in my lounge in my two-bedroom flat in a suburban Hampshire village. It's where I spent my teenage years after my family moved here from Yorkshire when I was 13 years old. A northerner living life in the south. In fact, my flat, my home, is around the corner from the detached but modest house which my parents bought here back in the mid-1990s. The bedroom which I used to blare out backstreet boys from in preparation from going to see them at Earl's Court is a five-minute walk away. I sometimes pass it as I go about my life now. The road that my school bus used to drive down is right outside my lounge window. The building which houses my flat was a scrapyard back then and it didn't exist in the 1990s and neither did who I am now. On the other side of my lounge wall, which is adorned by garish but gorgeous Lemure printed wallpaper, is my five-year-old son, TJ. He's asleep in his bedroom, which is decorated from top to bottom with dinosaurs, of course. I'm snuggled on the sofa after a busy day on parenting duty, scrolling mindlessly on my phone with some rubbish TV on in the background. DJ Dad is down the M3 with his wife, dog and their young child. We've been co-parenting since I had called time on our marriage a few years ago now, and TJ splits his time between the both of us. That little boy marches through life full of comedy, character and compassion for everyone and everything around him. He sang Happy Birthday to the Vacuum Cleaner when I mentioned recently that I bought it a couple of years ago in the January sales. On the nest of tables next to me, we sat in my grandparents' Nottingshire home when I was a child, is a glass of pink wine. That parenting cliche is alive and well here as a glass of something crisp, dry and cold after a busy day of raising my offspring is an antidote and a welcome treat. My mobile phone vibrates as I get a WhatsApp message from Ben, my gorgeous boyfriend. We will be living together someday, soon, I hope. Until then, we hang out when we can, yet we also enjoy our separate time too. TJ and I love a sleepover at his warm and cosy home and we're always made to feel so welcome. TJ adores Ben and they regularly spend hours together happily playing with Lego and laughing at stupid stuff. This usually gives me a great opportunity to dick around on my phone for a bit. It wasn't always like this. The sofa and my grandparents' table set used to sit in another home, a home which I shared with TJ's dad until shortly after our boy's first birthday. It wasn't quite the happy home which my stuff and I now occupy. Plainly painted walls with a backdrop to a plain life. That's why I left. It wasn't always like this in the brightly coloured flat either. The wine was to drown sorrows. The phone lit up with messages from wankers I had met on dating apps. TJ had quite the aversion to sleep. They were difficult days. Not anymore. Yet, those days also got me on the right path. A path which led to me today. To happiness. Let me explain. Chapter 1. Let's start at the very beginning. It's hard to remember in detail what a former you was like, isn't it? I, of course, know how it felt to be 24 years old at the time, but not so much of it has stuck with me over the 14 years which have followed since then. 
Thank you, Jeff. Fantastic reading. Um, now, one of the great joys of pop-up submissions, of course, is we do it live and almost never, ever, ever do it in post-production, which means that you get the great joy of watching me uh, perform cock-ups live on YouTube and everywhere else. So um, I'm just going to confess to a huge cock-up I've made. Thank you so much, Johnny, for pointing this out. I'm just about to, um, to anoint in a few minutes' time a monthly winner. And Johnny's pointed out, of course, that next Sunday is still July. I didn't know why. <laughs> You can tell where I am. You can tell where I am. God, my head is it's entirely somewhere else. I, I blame it on the heat wave. Um, so, yeah, actually, it uh, must be a month of five Sundays, actually. We have one more. One more Sunday before we can uh, do that. Let's see what the geniuses are saying. And they started out. Lots of great comments, actually. This is why I love the genius stream so much. Jan Hannah, uh, good title. Like the blurb. Martin, engagingly direct blurb. Uh, Matt says, are there negative pants? Mm, good question. Good title. I like the blurb. Not sure it's cutting edge enough. Uh, not to to Bev. RG says, it was my 20th wedding anniversary this week. And my 19th divorce anniversary. Right. Well, happy anniversary. Um, and Stacey says um, several times, I'm uncertain about this blurb. If we go back to the self-indulgent issues with memoirs and how most memoirs other than celebrity ones do well. And then uh, Stacey says, divorce is not uncommon. Neither is people moving on afterwards. OK, so that's an interesting topic of discussion. Um, let's let's do that right now, actually. So. Is this a legitimate... I mean, do you think there's a real need for this, actually, to begin with? Me? Anyone. <laughs> oh. I was a single parent. I was a single parent. I don't remember it being any big of a deal. But that was my thing, too. That's what caught me, too. I was like, Hester Prynne does not exist today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So is... I mean, like the whole idea of... Being stigmatized for being a single parent. I said the whole idea of being stigmatized for being yeah. a single parent doesn't really exist. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we wonder right away whether there's a need for the book. Is that what we're saying? Well, the, but the need for that definitely isn't there. Like, that doesn't, I don't care about that. But what are my people who are, you know, going through absolutely traumatic divorces and they just can't see a future beyond that? I mean, you know, divorce is one of the most traumatic life events you can have. Surely we, yeah. we need a little bit of help and self, self help from books, don't we? Or, yeah. or what? Well, I, th I, think, I think the third paragraph is probably our opening. I would, I would scrap the first two and start with the third and build off of that. Fine. Okay. Because I think, I, think I think this doesn't have it. It, does, it doesn't need a, a prologue. I mean, with a, with a title like putting on your positive pants, I want to get right to the punch. Yes. I don't want narrative nonfiction at all. Yes, yes, yes. So there's another thing that I'm, I want to... Generation is, is alive on fire at the moment. Great, good stuff. But I just want to ask our panellists about this thing. So normally the structure of uh, Misery Memoirs or self-help or something is I was in this dreadful situation, um, which you may be now too, and this is how I saw a way through to... Uh, my present state now uh, Judah's kind of reversed that and Judah's saying my life is just so cool at the moment look it's just it's brilliant it hasn't always been like that but it's brilliant now the effect it had on me was that I found that she was a little bit too perfect actually and I was beginning to think okay well your life's better than mine but you're kind of proud of it and crying over it I don't know if I, I want to con continue is that just my own mischievously evil personality chris and when she started talking about her perfect boyfriend ben yes 
You get the gist that she you get the gist that she divorced out of boredom because she went from this beautifully descriptive <laughs> thing about her entire life and then she's like, Yeah, my uh, my ex-husband was playing like the walls on the you know, the walls in my house. Yes. Yes. Wow. I don't think you did that, did you, Jude? I mean, all right, Jude wants to write a book that's, that, has, that is positive and supportive for everyone who's getting divorced. Man, this has been a pandemic of divorces. I didn't know that through through COVID. Did you know about that, Bev? I suspected. I had heard rumours that, that it was, you know, that it had taken its toll on, on relationships, yes. Yes, yes, OK. And the genius of course, uh, nothing if not... Um, on the ball, as saying uh, Hannah saying stigma today is being a cis woman who doesn't want children, and RG says stigma today is being a cis woman who doesn't want children or transparent indeed. Um, so he says, yeah, lots of journalists in the US at least. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, but, I think, but I think the writer needs to support that in the blurb, you know. Yes. She has to support that in the blurb, not give like not give vague facts, but just give us raw data in that. That would help, wouldn't it? That would help. Hmm. Um, yeah. Also, calling it self-help then rather than memoir because the title suggests yeah. self-help. It's a guide yeah. to, but then she called it a memoir. So that was a bit confusing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So RG says, I don't think this is any commercial bang. Sorry. Nothing distinctive, gripping or topical. Yeah, I suspect. My suspicion is that all the great self-help books about um, surviving uh, and thriving after divorce have probably been written. We may have moved on from that. I don't know. Let's see how the numbers are looking for you at the moment, Jude. You're looking at 42. Oh, actually, Chris hasn't voted yet. Chris has voted. It's, oh, gone, yes, it's gone up to 54. You've got a 54 there. So I think we've got some... Um, some existential issues, really, as to whether this is actually going to find a market or not. I did like the title a lot. I gave you good marks for the title. Me too. Yeah. And mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, Jude, um, I th I th obviously you can write. You can write really well. There's no question about that. But I have this huge question mark over my mind about your uh, relative to me, the all, all too perfect life, possibly. Um, anyway, I have one more submission of the day. Just one more. And here it is, submission number five. Comes from Daphne. Hello. Oh, Daphne is here. She's live and waiting with bated breath. It's called Farfetched, a memoir. And we've got a slash in the title. It's memoir slash literary appreciation. This is from Daphne. And this is Daphne's blurb. A woman in her 60s sets out to read 10 poems in nine languages. Arabic, Spanish, French, Tishvanda, Greek, Gaelic, Italian and Polish. The themes that appear and reappear in her reading, mistaking, forgetting, being an outsider, help her to make sense of her life. That's quite sweet. I like that. Daphne Lodes invited her friends to choose a poem in their first language and to help her to make sense of it. As this book took shape, Daphne became interested in the memories that their chosen poems were stirring up for her. And now, Daphne, is the moment when I tell the world about you. Um, I have an English degree from the University of Cambridge. Jolly good, you made the right choice there. As an experienced writer over the years, the focus of my publications has shifted from academic colleagues to include a wider audience. 
since 2004, I have published around 30 solo or co-authored journal articles and book chapters on higher education, often focusing on the value of literary reading and professional personal development. That's very interesting. I'd like to know more about that. I would. That sounds does sound bookable, that, actually. Um, in 2019, I published Rich Pickings, Creative Professional Development Activities for University Lecturers. Although aimed at an audience of university lecturers, Rich Pickings was written in an informal style, indeed. Well, I think what we'll get from Emily in this reading is uh, nothing less than uh, gloriously informal. Far-Fetched a Memoir by Daphne Read by Emily Chapter 1 in which the author takes part in a misguided research project. She goes in search of mysterious birds and Christopher Pine's penis pops up. One evening, our Gaelic class was invited to take part in a psychology experiment. University researchers wanted to find out if learning a new language later in life offered any protection against cognitive decay. So they gathered together about 40 middle-aged and older learners in a small, hot classroom and asked us to fill in a long questionnaire about our language histories. Most of us were rather tired after a two-hour struggle with unfamiliar grammar and vocabulary. Some, like the silvery retired professor who kept asking questions prefaced by to be clear, were standing on their dignity. Others were standing on each other's toes. The atmosphere in the room was quite unpleasant. The hapless graduate student tasked with establishing the baseline of our cognitive decay was shy and nervous. He played an audio tape and asked us to count the number of boings that we heard. When the boings changed in tone, we were to change the direction of our counting. Now, it may be that the student forgot to tell us, or perhaps I missed it, but the fact is that I, and I know I wasn't alone in this, did not get the first instruction. Imagine you are in a lift. So it was very difficult indeed to write down, as requested, the floor number at the end of each sequence. After a while, someone cottoned on to the lift thing, and following a few practice runs, we all set to our task. The boings came thick and fast, and the changes in tone were rather subtle. After numerous boing sequences, Professor, to be clear, asked, Are we still practising? I thought the graduate student was going to cry. After what felt like a few more hours of torture, we dutifully handed in our grids, filled with numbers. I think the plan was that after a semester of language learning, we would be tested again to see if our boing counting prowess had deteriorated or improved but the student never got in contact with us again. There is a problem with this kind of research. There was so much going on in that room that might have been of interest to a researcher. The impact of tiredness on learning, the phenomenon of irritability, the potential for very clever people to fail to follow simple instructions. I know that my learning of Gaelic has stretched my mind, opened my eyes and nourished my soul. But because we can't measure any of those experiences, we count boings instead. The first piece chosen for me is the opening of an iconic poem by Sorley MacLean, one of the foremost Gaelic poets of modern times. It was suggested by Wilson MacLeod, Professor of Celtic and Scottish Studies at the University of Edinburgh. MacLean takes us to the village where his family came from, Halleg, on the island of Rasse. In a dreamlike atmosphere, he conjures up a sadly beautiful place, emptied during the highland clearances and filled now with the dead people who once lived there glimpsed in the form of native trees. Entering the wood of Halleg, I find myself in a time and place where something has happened that I cannot fully grasp. For an English-speaking reader of Gaelic, so much gets in the way of understanding. Not only ignorance of vocabulary, grammar and cultural context, 
but also my painful awareness of the history of the two languages. There are patterns and details that Wilson can point out to me. The alternating long and short vowels echoed the long and short notes of bagpipe music. The West, referred to in the second line, is a mythological place away from normal reality, suggesting the past and all the richness of tradition. Wilson also draws my attention to the many times that a particular construction is used. In Gaelic, we have this usage of the preposition in. We say, I'm in my standing, Tomin na shasof, or I'm in my sleep, Tomin nam khadl. Ten times it is repeated through this poem. Ten times. It is a part of the shape-shifting, trance-like atmosphere of the poem. This sense of being in a state of is completely lost in the English translation. Thank you, Emily. The second reading of the day today is a joy of joys, actually, when Emily gives the two readings. That's absolutely brilliant. And the genii are rocking. Um, so initially we, we got a penis. Um, and Brew says, just got real. Uh, Vic says, lol, reopening. Mel, love that opener. James says, whoa. And RG says, what? Pants? Privates? And now a penis? I think that was pure clickbait, actually. I don't know. Let's see what our um, uh, three panelists think. Uh, a penis popped up. I mean, honestly, really? Reactions, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't it, like that. It's a bit, isn't it, actually? It's a bit, yeah. yeah. It's just a bit. Okay, fine. A bit juvenile. Um, yeah, I, I thought that too. Um, but, nevertheless, we then got some uh, some absolutely mature writing. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, I thought the writing was very good. Um, the bo- I wasn't sure what the boings were, uh, but beyond that, I thought the writing the writing was good. It was a little, it, it got a little bit thick in some places, a little hard to follow in some spots. Yeah. I thought, and it felt and it started to feel very academic, which is which you know if you're reading a memoir, you don't want an academic read. You don't want something that you, you don't want to read something that makes you work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It did. It, ve- it went around a lot actually. I like the boings. They they were, I mean, I was actually quite getting into that. I was getting into the whole kind of pointlessness of the whole thing, thinking, oh, really, is that how science works then? And uh, But then suddenly it's kind of, that was, oh, we've done that, and now I'm going to tell you some poems. And I'm thinking, oh, what, 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 what's the connection? I don't, there's lots of things that I like here, but they don't really seem connected together. What did you think, Bev? I wrote down two words. I wrote academic and schizophrenic. Oh, okay. Because it rhymes. It rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I felt what was lost was the poems. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a, we were promised something that seemed quite magical. The idea of mm-hmm. people bringing poems mm. from in their own language, from their own culture, yeah. and this person was going to work work through them and. And then we don't even get to see the poem. We just had something about... I mean, I, I didn't even know who the person was, where they were, how old they were, what was going on. Suddenly, we're, they're in a lab listening to Boings, and then suddenly she's talking about a poem that we haven't read. And I just thought, who are you? I've, I've been missed here. I'm the reader, and you've lost... Yeah. You've, you're not paying attention to me and giving me something that says this is of interest to you. Yes, yes. But let me ask you this. Could it potentially be of interest here? Because yes, I think it's got some absolutely. strong ingredients. Yeah. I, th- I thought that whole idea was, was lovely. Mm-hmm. But the, 
the 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 way it was being approached um yeah i wouldn't persevere okay yeah it's 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 not quite hanging together what what it made me think of initially i was thinking oh there's some really interesting ingredients here and i think superficially i, I definitely think agents and publishers could be really interested actually i was thinking what you know comparators we always think about comparators don't we i was thinking about eat pray love actually i was thinking about eat pray love and um you know you get what do you instead of poems you get pizzas um but that's all right mm-hmm. and I, I just, you know, a, a, a woman's kind of random walk, really, through the world. I mean, actually, what was it, surviving divorce after divorce? It wasn't exactly divorce, was it? She actually dumped her fellow because she didn't feel he had any, any role in her future, I think. <laughs> just, uh, oh, I guess it's fair enough. And it, then it became a sort of random walk, discovering things, and what, what was discovered had sort of bearings on her own development, and that kind of, kind of hung together, at least it did enough for Julia Roberts when she portrayed it. But it's, I don't know, and the idea of poems, I think, is very interesting, but is it strong enough just getting people to bring them to you, or should you actually discover them in in places and occasions when you need to find them? What do you think about that? Chris? I'm I'm, I'm at a loss. (laughs) Structure, I'm at a loss on this one a little bit, honestly. Okay. Um, I, 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 but I do, I do. I mean, if if I can say anything, I would just say that I think the title needs to be reworked. I think yes. there's, there's a disconnect there. Yes, there is. There's a, a disconnect in the yeah. title. Like if, if you're, because I mean, if you're, if you're getting Epray love vibes, we need some sort of title that really drives yeah. into the whole thing with poetry and discovery and language. Like, find a way to tie and knit those things together so that it does yeah. pop off the shelf. Yeah. Um, RG says, format is yuck, that the craft is beautiful. A rare wonder, 100% on that from me. That's great, 100% from uh, RG in the, in the genius room. Emily, who, of course, is our narrator. The boing bit is, is fun, but goes on a bit too long. Get to the poetry while we're still chuckling. Agree 100%. Um, Mel, really loving this. Stacey, I, I love the cadence of this. Lovely reading and prose, but I'm struggling to connect. Yep. And I think that's that's summed up our feeling as well. It's not quite connecting. Vicky, I'm not a poetry lover, but I'd read this. Um, wow, beautiful writing, says Stacey. Deserves a repeat from me. I did enjoy that, says Honey. You've got some great reactions here, uh, Daphne, from the Genius Room. I would certainly read on. And Eva, oh, I thought I heard wrong. <laughs> yes, you, you did hear. You heard the P word. Uh, Lex says, initially, you've got a penis. Peter Cox, uh, actual literary agent. Um, getting to listen to Emily read a treatise on a function of Gaelic was treat. I thought so too. And Matt says, yeah, the concept is fantastic. The intro is okay, but not as compelling. And uh, Mel, yes, actually, I can see that, Mel. Mel, I was thinking, says Mel, a literary Shirley Valentine. I love, I love that concept too. That's what I would love it to be. Um, any final thoughts, guys? I heard um, a radio program about a woman in her 60s who was stuck in hospital for three weeks. So her daughter gave her War and Peace to read. Oh. And after she read it and loved it, oh. he thought, but I haven't read War and Peace because I haven't read it in Russian. So for the next sort of 15 years of her life, she studied Russian. She went and did her doctorate in Moscow. Uh, She became like the foremost translator of Pushkin. She became so... And and when I was reading the, the blurb, and it was like... There's that potential of someone gets taken on a journey yes. by doing mm-hmm. this thing of looking at these poems in these other languages, and that journey would interest me much yes. more than what we got a snippet of. I think it's there, yeah. but I think it needs pulling out. 
Yeah. What happens if it's not there, Chris, though? Would you advise the author just to invent it in any case? Yeah, I think you, you got to find it somewhere. Uh, like, mm. like you said, you got to, you got to, you've got to pull us on the journey. Like that's what I, I felt the same way Bev did. That you invited us on this journey of language and culture and connection, and so yeah. just bring us. Because I, I feel like the writer, she's a good writer. You can see it. You yes. can see that she's got the literary chops, but it's a matter of honing that in and really taking us somewhere. Yes, quickly. Yeah. I tell you what, what, what made me drop out of the, the frame here was um, I actually wrote it down. The, um, and it's kind of the two, there's uh, a double sort of space in between the, those, those two uh, scenes as well. And then it, there's a section that began, the first piece chosen for me. <clears throat> That's the first point. The first piece chosen for me. My heart kind of sunk at that point because I think, well, what is this, Desert Island Discs or something? It just, it, I, I don't know, it's, it doesn't have the immediacy I'm looking for. But anyway, let's see what the numbers look like. Um, let's see if everyone's voted. They have indeed. You've got a solid 60. Solid 60 there, Daphne. Um, Genius Room, I think it's got a lot of bang, actually. Genius Room, I would say, several degrees hotter on this than, than possibly our panel. Um, and... RG says, whenever I talk to a wall, I do it in Shirley's voice. Fantastic. Hannah, great advice there. Make sure it's not a linguistic thesis. Keep going with a good story. Um, let's look at the overall um, scorecard. <coughs> there we go. Good range of scores today, but I think, actually, what we've decided today, collaboratively, is in fact submission number one. Is our show Your privates breathe from Melissa. We liked it. You've won, Melissa. Many congratulations indeed. And it will be next week, our last show of July. Uh, thank you for keeping a good calendar there, um, the, uh, Johnny, for me. Um, when we see whether Simon's Gates to Nowhere, which got 78, actually, that's a pretty monstrous score. Whether, whether anyone is going to beat that next week. Who knows? We don't know. I do know something. I've had a very good time with Bev and, and Chris. Thank you for being on the show again together, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you've, been, you've been great. The Genius Room has been great. I think we should do this all again next Sunday. Please join us live.